And welcome back to Reptiles and Responsibility with Chris Law. This is the second part of the interview. It's going to pick up right where it left off on the last one. So enjoy. Yeah, and, and, you know, and it just it, it sucks to a point because you you know in one aspect you, you, your your natural uh, uh, way of handling things might just be you know you pull out your chest and get pissed off you get basically tell them where to jump off of and yeah you're very passionate about it because you know, <laughs> you know you spent time and money and effort into this hobby and you know you're like well who the hell are you? Right, and this is, uh, and when we take that typical uh, mentality towards other people, right. you know, against us and, and other uh, manners, you know, then it can get rather messy, especially when we have to keep in mind that we are not just representatives of ourselves. At this <laughs> exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. We are representatives of the community. We are representatives representatives of this industry. So if we handle things in the wrong manner, we're not just looking bad on ourselves. We are looking bad on the community itself. And again, you're just tapping that nail, tapping that nail. Yeah. Uh, you know. So we have to handle things in a way that makes sense. And this is where you know our next step has to come from. Mm-hmm. We too often seem to think that. You know, I do get where people are coming from when they say, you know what, you know, divided we fall. Yes. Totally. Here's the problem. In order to fix a problem, you have to have a solution. And it's the solution that makes everybody conflict. Right. Everybody has their personal ideas on how this should work. Some are going to say no regs, no regs, you know, that we don't need them, screw that. Others right. are saying, you know what, we do need something on the table. Uh-huh. And when you have those two completely polar opposite mentalities going at each other, no matter what gets said, it's not going through. Right. So, yes, there's going to be natural debate within the subject. Sure. have to come to some type of agreement in order to find a solution that's going to work so we can put something on the table and get something accomplished. Right. So, you know, saying that, you know, divided we fall is, almost, is basically toothless until you have decided, well, how are we going to proceed? If you don't have a solution, if you don't have an idea, you have no way to take a step forward. Basically, you're just continuing to do what you've always done, and what we've always done is not working. Yeah, and that's, you know, been made obvious by, you know, this legislation that's going on. You know, if I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you've always do, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. Yeah. And that's basically what it boils down to. You know, and I want to bring up that quote, and I think it was Einstein that said it, you know, is insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, you know? That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly it, and that's all we've been doing. We've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, and yet we're and, and expecting that different result. Right. We are expecting that the world is all of a sudden, you know, this mass number of people that don't understand us are all of a sudden just going to wake up one morning and think, you know what? Those snake people were right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it does not work that way. It's, it's never going to work that way. And the sooner we realize that and get with the program, the better. Yeah. The whole you know, is that we have, yes, we need to work together. Yes, we have strength in numbers, but we also have to handle things intelligently. We have to help. We have to basically come to terms with reality. Yeah. We, and it's easy for a lot of people that, that yell, no regs, no regs, but yet, do you see these guys out there fixing the problem? Do they? Do you, do, are these guys out there doing rescues and cleaning up? Yeah, I took in some guy. And some guy called me the other day. Didn't have, and had a Burmese python he wanted to get rid of. Yeah, sure, I took it. Uh, we got him cleaned up, and yeah, I sold it to this guy. You know, that's typically the you know the retort that you get. Right. These guys, these people are not wholeheartedly dedicated to actually helping to go find homes for a lot of these animals, helping to fix these problems that 
we are seeing within our community, removing alligators from ponds, removing large constrictor snakes and venomous snakes from drug stashes and things of that nature. Right. Um, these are what we're seeing, and this is a, a major problem when we cannot come together and really talk logically about what our options are at this point and try to, to take a different approach. And I think this is the reason why, and as you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this, that we were going to try to set up a, a reptile roundtable, so to mm-hmm. speak, of, of people who have some ideas and have some thoughts and concerns. Um, and it's very important that, you know, no matter what we do, even if we get together with that with that roundtable and formulate some ideas, there's going to be a ton of purpose. They're going to say, screw that. We don't need it. I hate the idea. Yeah, of course. I was watching on, uh, you know, on board uh, some guys criticizing U.S. ARC and basically, again, I have my issues with U.S. ARC, of course, but at the same time, what else do we have until we have set something else up in motion? We have no room for criticism of an organization that's at least doing something. It's better than them doing nothing. Yeah. But at the same time, and U.S. ARC doesn't have any dirt that I'm aware of. They don't have uh, any backdoor dealings doing anything that I'm unaware of. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're not getting in bed with the enemy, so to speak. No. So I don't really see any room for us to be complaining. Now, you know, as opposed to some people, you know, basically trying to champion uh, somebody that has uh, basically a long history of animal neglect and poor husbandry and selling uh, certain animals like candy as if you know, right. uh, they make great pets when they don't, things of that nature, and then telling them that, yeah, you should be a representative of us, uh, a representative of us for the uh, community. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of issues with that because anybody that looks into their track record is going to see there's going to be some problems. But when you have an organization, something that is set up and is official, it really helps uh, speak volumes for your community and helps you to be able to come up with a feasible solution. It gives you an actual voice instead of just one or two people speaking up you have a whole, uh, you have an organization that is representing an entire community that speaks far more volume than any one individual will ever. Right, and that's my whole thing too. Is Andrew, you know, and you know, not to you know single out Andrew as the voice for the reptile community, but you know, U.S. Arc. Let's put it that way. U.S. Arc has brought in, you know, how many scientists brought them to Washington to sit in front of these representatives and tell them, look. This is the facts of, you know, this is why this report doesn't make sense to us. You know, yeah. and it's like, okay, so who else is doing that? I don't see them. Yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> my thought process, too. You know, you can have all the, the critique that you want. Right. And, you know, I, and anybody that knows me knows I've got plenty of it for a lot of people. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I am definitely not voiceless. When I, when I see something I don't like, I say something about it. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to realize where your realities lie and say, okay, you know what, we can stretch a little bit here. We can try to make something work. Uh, U.S. ARC is still a voice, you know, whether we have some issues specifically with with how they might operate things or how they're, you know, they're stepping towards a couple of things. uh, It's not anything to do with their their personalities. It's nothing to do with individual backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It has to do with one organization that at least has done some footwork for us. So I think that that's a very important factor whenever we're just we're you know sitting back and trying to uh, voice our criticism. You know, and that's the thing is you know basically we're a bunch of armchair quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you put to it put it way, bluntly, pretty much exactly right. You know, because I know I'm not flying out to Washington every other week or every, you know every three months. 
you know, right. and standing in front of a room full of representatives going, hey, you know, this is why I disagree with your findings. Right, exactly. And you know what? And, and that's not to say that there aren't private individuals that don't have a voice. I mean, no. you know, I think anybody that, that has tried to step up and has been active in writing to their legislators, placing phone calls, uh, right. going to the state houses and saying, you know what, I, I've got problems with this. I've had my meetings with, 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 with governors and, and, and mayors of different cities and things of that nature. Right. And as long as you remain respectful and you try to uh, relay positive information to them and you represent yourself and the community well, these things can go over well. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the other values that USR has. Uh, and, you know, Andrew Wyatt, you know, he, when he gets dressed up, you know, he, he's in a nice suit. He, he, he's really yeah. uh, snazzy looking. You know, he gets in, in front of these people and he represents himself as a businessman. Uh, as a professional, uh, right. you know, and as a clean character, and I think that this is one of the things that helps our, our community. You know, this is this isn't to say anything negatively about people with tattoos because I have plenty of them. Yeah, but at, the, <laughs> but at the same time, all of mine are hidden, and I, I realize same you know, here. I'm going to be um, a, a representative of in, in any way to our community, especially in, in a public way at all. I, I want to make sure that I represent my, my fellow hurt keepers in a positive yeah. manner. Um, but one of our next things that we need to try to step forward is we really need to just get on the ball, get a group of people together, talk about what realities we're facing, try to come up with some ideas that are going to work at, le at least as best as possible. Right. You know, there's not going to be a perfect solution, and even ourselves are not going to be happy with whatever gets put together. We'll be happy that we've got something accomplished, but yeah. are we going to be really happy that we have to do it? Oh, of course not. Right. You know, yeah, it's great being able to just call up a buddy of yours that you know has a, uh, you know, has just read, uh, you know, uh, um, some Jameson's Mambas, and <laughs> yeah. say, hey, buddy, I, you know, I, I'd love to pick one of those up off you. Yeah, it, it would be great. But unfortunately, irresponsibility and greed in our community has has guided us down a different path, yeah. So this isn't to say that we have to lose our community. This isn't to say that we have lost all. It just means that we need to redirect our efforts a little bit and try to get things set back on a better path. Right. Um, a lot of different options have been presented, some of it with the falconry community. Yes, as there are issues with the, with the falconry model, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, not all things with the falconry model are going to apply to reptiles and vice versa. Right. So we right. have to try to modify it a little bit more, uh, take some ideas possibly from the AZA policies and accreditation programs, the foundry model, uh, what's wrong with combining the efforts. There's always something that you can do. If it can work for AZA, if it can work for the foundry model, it can work for us. So we just have to be willing to put forth the footwork and make sure that it gets done. Yeah, and that's one of the criticisms that I see brought up a lot is, you know, when people say, you know, oh, well, you know, who's going to police us? You know, well, to me, when they bring that up, you know, and it's usually as soon as somebody brings up, you know, the AZA model or the Falconry model, people are like, well, who's going to run it? You know, right. it's like, well, let's look at our options. We, we are either going to, like, you know, again, countless times we've said it, you know, we're either going to set these regulations up or help to set these regulations up. Or it's going to come down from somebody else who's not experienced in the reptile community that is just going to, you know, pull stuff out of, you know, reports and papers, you know, again, from in inexperienced people in the community. And, you know, exactly we're not, we're really not going to be happy at that point. 
<laughs> and this is where we have to just come to terms with reality and say, okay, you know what? I mean, there, it's not like it's not possible. There, there, no. there's people that have facilities that we can work out of. Right. Um, you know, it's possible that it can be eventually, you know, put into motion by U.S. Arc since they already have a foundational organization to work with. Right. Um, you know, it's possible that we can take that approach. Uh, th- there's a couple different options, but you know, I- I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I most certainly don't. Yeah, neither um, do I. <laughs> but at the same time, you can collaborate efforts. You can collaborate minds. You can get these people together, and you have a lot. This is what has always disturbed me so much about this community. You have a lot of brilliant people in this community. You have a lot of highly intelligent, motivated, and dedicated individuals in this community. Why the hell are we using them? Yeah. This has been my biggest problem all along. Yeah, and, and that's the, something... Here's, here's the biggest problem, and I know that, you know, why that these individuals typically aren't involved, and it's because, yes, they hold themselves to a high standard, and there's a reason why they do. And it's because right. it gives them the credibility, and if they drop their credibility just to try to defend a bunch of idiots that cannot seem to, you know... Get it. <laughs> ...in any way that's reasonable, then this actually hurts them. Uh, Doug Hodel mentioned very, you know, a very realistic situation. (laughs) People are against the AZA in our community. Well, they've thrown us under the bus. They won't defend us. They they don't hold this uh, elitist position and blah, 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 blah. Right. They do. Why? Because it covers their ass. Exactly. That's why they do. They separated themselves because they were being dragged under by all these roadside zoos, all these little small parks. This is not to say that they're all garbage. I'm sure that there's some non-AZA facilities that are that are truly well that done and yeah. operate reasonably well. Yep. But at the same time, that does not mean that that's the case for all of them. And if you want to continue doing what you're doing, yes, you have to try to set yourself up to a higher standard and give legislators a reason to take your side and say, okay, you're doing things. You're trying to set, you know, you have um, a directive. You are trying to get something accomplished. There's a reason why we can exempt you. But if you are mixed in with the masses, you're going to get thrown in with them. You yeah. are going to get the same treatment with them. You know, they can't go through and single out individuals. Just like, you know, a legislation can't, you know, meet up with me. I can't just go to the state house and say, hey, you know, you know that ban bill that you just passed? Well, you know what? I'm a responsible keeper. I think I should get an exemption. And they're, just, they're not going to put a stamp on my hand and say, okay, you're good to go. Yeah. It does not work that way. Right. You have to prove why you deserve an exemption. And that's exactly what AZA did. They mm-hmm. proved why they deserved an exemption, and they have it. This is the reason why universally across the board, no matter what fan bills get passed, they are still set up. They are still ready to go because they have proven that they have the means and the abilities to care for these animals properly, give them humane treatment, give them a proper enrichment, give them all the husbandry requirements that they need, as well as educate the public, keep the public safe, keep them safe, and keep the animals safe. They have proven that they have the ability to do all of those things, and they have a plan of action for each and every scenario. Uh, right. This is not to say that they haven't had problems with AZA zoos. Have, sure. have AZA zoos had incidents? Of course they did. You know what? They're not perfect. They are still human. They are controlled by human beings. And quite frankly, we suck. So there's going to be something that's going to go wrong occasionally. That does not mean that they do not have a standard that is to live up to. They right. still have a great, um, they're still going to have a great uh, position and defense against any type of attack from the uh, from the Humane Society of the United States, PETA, or the or uh, the legislators. Right, and the biggest thing I think you brought up in in the you know AZA thing there was the fact that they're educated and Absolutely. 
they're sharing that education with the public. This is something again that you know yourself, uh, me, and uh, I believe it was Tom Crutchfield uh, talked about it, and I think it was in an article or maybe it was just a conversation that we all had online at some point. But you know, that's where this irresponsibility comes in. Is again, you know, not only are breeders and sellers, you know, and I'm not, you know, calling anybody specifically out. But again, you know, we're not having conversations with these individuals that are buying the animals to know that these people are educated enough to take responsibility for this animal that we're selling them. Whether it be a corn snake, a freaking alligator lizard, or, you know, an 18-foot king cobra, you know, if they're not educated in the responsible management of these animals, this is how we have incidents of, you know, releases of children being hurt or even worse, being killed by family pets. Yeah, the and, numbers and are there exactly to prove. And, and, and what's so sad is that it, it, this is what we, we've come down to. And this is how you know that we have so little to actually work with. We have statistical analysis that says, okay. That's yes, what I was well, just about to bring up. <laughs> we, okay, yeah, we got, you know, do more people get hurt annually by dogs than what they get hurt by large yep. districts? Yeah, sure. But uh, I'm more than willing to bet there's a lot more of them out there therefore that increases that likelihood uh you know therefore you know it's a toothless statement using that which is why you know is it true sure but you know when you really consider the numbers um there's a little bit of a gap there you're going to have a lot more dogs out there especially big canines Mm -hmm. uh, than what you're going to have large constrictors or venomous snakes or alligators or big cats in, in private hands Right. So, obviously, yeah, I would expect there to be more incidents as a result of them. I do get what they're trying to do. I do get what they're trying to say and say, you know what? Deaths are still possible. Uh, banning our animals is not going to prevent deaths because you're still going to have situations with domestic dogs. And I do get, the, the, get that that's what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I think they need to try to find a different way of wording it. Don't try to do it as a statistical analysis because that doesn't prove a damn thing. Right. Uh, all that really does is demonstrate that the, the comment that the people are having difficulties maintaining a, a domestic dog, much less an exotic animal that can inhi- that inherently, by its no own nature, is designed to kill. Right. Um, <laughs> that's that's not really helping your case any. Yeah, and exactly. That can think critically can look at that and say, uh, yeah, that's not really telling you much. Right. But uh, what we need to do at this point is, is really just sit down and be honest with ourselves. We, we can't afford to continue twiddling our thumbs and just hoping that somebody's just going to step up and just that they're going to have the silver bullet that's just going to end all the bans and end all the legislation and all the attacks on us. It's not going to happen because really we are the enemy. We are the ones causing our own problems. Yeah, we're, all, we're our enemy. own worst enemy. Exactly. The Humane Society of the United States, they are reacting to our screw-ups. Right. The legislation is reacting to HSUS reacting. Right. So <laughs> we are the one that put forth things in motion, and they are picking up on it and utilizing it. If you don't feed them ammo, they can't shoot it. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, and this is the thing that we have to try to get through to ourselves and realize, okay, if we don't get smart, if we don't start making some better choices, some bad things are going to happen. And it's been happening, and it's going to continue to happen unless we finally put our foot down and say, you know what, enough's enough. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, and speaking of the education thing, you know, there's plenty of, um, just for our listeners, in case, you know, because I know I still have a lot to learn, you know, and, you know, I'm not claiming, you know, I have a college education. All my stuff is self-taught from mentors and, you know, reading books and personal experience. 
there's a lot of dedicated keepers in this community that that have learned that exact way that do not have formal education, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, and that's what I was going to say is you know Doug Hodel is responsible for. Um, and I don't want to say the Venomous Expo. I don't recall the actual name of the event. It's not an expo. I believe it's the. Uh, it's it basically it's a Venomous Reptile Seminar. Yeah, it's basically a workshop. You know, on how to. You know, and there's people. You know, I mean, the people that are going to be there haven't been released as far as guest speakers. I don't think. But uh, I believe he did uh, release the. Uh, oh, did he? I okay. Know, uh, I can't remember everybody that was on it, but there's a lot of big names. On yeah, that. I mean, there's. I mean, I don't know how Doug pulled this off, but. Somehow he's been doing it for a while now, and he's pulled off, you know, getting guest speakers there that literally, you know, from what I'm understanding, and I am going this year. I've made that so I made my promise to myself that I'm going this year to see this. You know, these are people that have worked in the industry for numerous, numerous years, educating basically anybody that wants to show up, you know, how to work with venomous animals, and how to work with, you know, and most of it's snakes, but I'm sure there's lizards in there too, you know. And you, know, and you know, and Doug Hodel has been a um, a tremendous voice for us. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, you know, he he even uh, has openly stated, you know, what we have to step up, we have to step up to the plate. Right. And, and Doug Hodel, though, is a is he's a he's a proud um, private keeper. He's not just a zookeeper. Um, he's not just the director of the Albuquerque Biological Park. Oh. Okay. Uh, he he is also a private keeper and has been before, and he wants to be again. He does oh, okay. not want, you know, he has mentioned himself that he, you know, he was not born into the zoological community and he doesn't want to die in it. So, wow. you know, he wants to fight for our, our rights as well. But if we are not going to step up and realize what we have to do, if we are not going to try to grab a hold of the reins and really try to steer ourselves in, the, in another direction, mm-hmm. he doesn't have much hope. Uh, right. He can step up, he can make his voice, but you know what? When there's a lot of other people that's drowning him out, it's not going to help our case any. Right, and the thing, the reason I brought up Doug was because, you know, he's one of these people that actually is bringing an educational workshop to the forefront for people to attend. And for our listeners, you know, if you guys want to own, you know, venomous reptiles, I would definitely recommend, you know, going to the venomous workshop. Um, I'll actually put a link to it in the show notes if you'd like. Um, you know, but what I'm, the whole point of what I'm trying to say here is there's numerous workshops put on by herb societies. You know, different reptile clubs. There's education out there to be had. Absolutely, and it's a matter of you seeking it, and that's right. This is such an important facet of our community. And you know, this is where, and I'm going to take another step back here for a second. Sure. And I'm going to address something else. Our community was was originally began because people had fascinations with with animals that other people, you know, would. You know, hiss and run from. Yeah. Um, you know, this was, um, and then as time progressed, what ended up happening was that you've got these people trying to educate others, help them understand the role that these animals play in their natural environments and the benefits that they have to people. Right, the natural history of the animal itself. Yeah, as time progressed, then now you have developed this into an industry and within it, even larger, a community. Right. The problem is that. As of t- as time has gone by, we seem to have lost sight of one of our major um, <laughs> our major th- reasons for being here, and that is educating the public about these animals. Right. Uh, it's not just educating ourselves, although that is an important facet. But if we're educated, but and we're not spreading the information, how is that helping? Yeah. Um, it, it's just like much of anything else. In order to continue de- uh, developing society in a way that is going to be beneficial for everybody around. You have to spread the knowledge. You have to try to help everybody understand. Um, 
And there's, I'm not saying that there aren't people doing that, but it seems that more people are more wrapped up in trying to breed the next more of a ball python than what they are trying to educate the public about the necessity of these animals in, in, in the wild and why it's best to leave them alone. Uh, that's the reason why I, you know, I have stepped away largely from uh, the captive aspect uh, of the, the reptile community, not to say that I'm against it, but at this, I, I have always been more intrigued and, and wanting to be more involved with wild counterparts of these animals. Uh, so that's where I devote most of my time and attention. But uh, the captive aspect of our industry and community is still an important one. But uh, we need to learn how to operate that more respectfully uh, for ourselves and for those around us. When they show, when we are able to represent ourselves in a responsible, and not to mention, it looks you look professional in that way. You look like everybody in, within your community really takes pride in what they do, really is devoted to these animals. We are their voice. We are there to try to help these animals. We are there to help other people understand them. When you show the public that, then it really looks good for you, and it gives the public less reason to go against you whenever there is a banned potential situation, which this is what ends up happening. A lot of you know these, these situations continue to hit the news. It feeds negative information to the, to the uh, public, and then they go against us. We have actually been creating more problems for ourselves than we can fix in any given time frame. Yeah, definitely. And I'm with you. You know, when I first got into this industry, you know, and I've said it numerous times in different interviews, yeah, I got into it for the money because, you know, I was working in a pet shop and I asked, you know, the guy that taught me, you know, or got me started, I should say, my mentor, you know, I think I asked him for a dollar to buy a soda or something like that. And he pulled out a wad of cash the size of my fist. And I'm like, I know you didn't make that work in here. <laughs> you know, and he's like, no, I breed ball pythons. And I'm like, shit, sign me up. Right. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and within a year's it, time, it works for a lot of people. But and, and I'm not saying I'm against that. You no, know, no, no, no. Make it successful, sure. But yeah. Be realistic at the same time. But ball the, pythons are one thing. A ball pythons are not going to kill you. Yeah. But you know, a cobra will. Yeah. You know, a rattlesnake will. Yeah. Uh, you and, know, an alligator can maim you pretty bad. You know, if it gets large <laughs> enough and you do something stupid. Yeah. A large constrictor, <laughs> while it's rare, it's still possible for them to kill you. Yeah. So. We have to be realistic, you know, and not, and it's not even just about the, the safety aspect. You know, it's not just about whether or not these animals are capable of doing bodily harm to us. It's whether or not that we can really feasibly, properly care for these animals in a captive setting. Most venomous snakes probably can be handled pretty well and, and, and properly maintained in a captive setting. What about large constrictors? What about alligators? Can't be sure, they can be handled in most cases. Alligators are going to outgrow practically most people unless you live down south to be able to properly care for them. And if you're up north, you might as well just forget about it. Um, I've said before, and, I, and I'll say it again, when I've got uh, you know an average of about 50 alligators per year coming you know from around uh, the Midwest, when you know, and I'm talking most of them from right here in Columbus, I'll just say there should not even I, I cannot even see there being that many. Uh, responsible and dedicated and properly set up keepers in the entire northern half of the United States to be able to keep an alligator, much less right here within the city of Clumps. So, obviously, this shows that there are some issues going on. You know, if if I was only getting one or two alligators a year, okay, I might be able to say, okay, you know, there's really nothing to this. But when I'm getting this many in a year, somebody's really making some bad choices. And I, you know... We've already known who that is for the longest time. Right. But 
now it's time for the community to step up and put a stop to them. When you mm-hmm. see somebody, uh, you know, within our community that is doing something that is irresponsible, selling an animal to somebody that you know off the top of your head, you can look at them without a shadow of a doubt and know that this person really had no business with this animal. Okay, it's time to step up and call them out on it. And yeah. I think until exactly. we get to this point, then we are going to continue fighting amongst ourselves and we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, you know, and an example of what you're talking about, Chris, is, you know, and I think I've talked to you about this before, was, you know, the gentleman came into a shop that I was working at where we sold green anacondas, you know. I didn't like selling them to people, but there were, and I will say one to two people during my time frame that I worked there for a year that came in that actually had the enclosure setups and, you know, what have you, ready to, you know, actually house and, you know, were responsible enough to take care of these animals. Now, this one individual came in, and he had his two-year-old daughter with him in his arms, you know, and we, again, began a regular conversation, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, yeah, I'm looking at the green anaconda. I look at the daughter and I'm like, okay, you know, not a problem. You know, what's your, you know, what type of snakes do you own now? You know, oh, I own a corn snake. Okay. (laughs) You know, do you you understand that a green anaconda gets, you know, significantly larger than a corn snake? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 not a problem, not a problem. Okay, not fantastic, you know. Where do you plan on housing this individual snake when it gets, you know, to, you know, 10, 15, you know, 18 feet long, you know, and weighs, you know, a hundred and something pounds. Oh, I'm going to throw it out in my backyard pond. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can't sell you this animal. Well, why not? Um, because you just told me you're going to throw it out in your backyard pond, which isn't an enclosure. Well, yeah, but it's not going to go away from the water. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, Yeah, now I'm really not going to sell you this animal. (laughs) Yeah, you know. I mean, it's seriously, uh, I've had very similar situations with that. Actually, I have my own anaconda story when it comes to that. (laughs) I I, I worked at a pet pet store, again, that sold green anacondas. Uh, The owner, however, did did not have restraint in how he was selling. Mm. Um, A mother and a father both came into this reptile store and wanted to buy the 15-year-old son a green anaconda. Now, the questions that they were asking weren't, you know, well, how big does it get and what is it going to require? It was, well, little Johnny, which one's cuter? Which one's pretty? I'm sitting there, I am like, are you shitting me? And, you know, the guy that owns the store was sitting there and he, go, and he goes, yeah, yeah, pick which one you want. And I'm like, right, what? So, and then he tells me, he tells me this, he goes, Chris, go ahead and start and, and get ready to go get there. I'm like, okay. So I, I, and I did this intentionally, because I, I, I'm, I'm pissed at this point. <laughs> yeah. There's two five-foot green anacondas in this cage. So I just, I walk in, I go into the back room, open up the thing, and I yank both of them out, and I pull them out. Both of them start tagging my arms. I hold them both out separately from me. I got blood running down my arms. I was like, yeah, yeah, which one's prettier? Which one do you want? <laughs> now I got blood running down my arm, and the, the mother and the father are sitting there looking horrified, and at this point, then the kid starts looking that way, too. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, which one do you want to hear? you want to hold one? He, he, no, no. Want to hold one? Well, if you're going to own one, I mean, you're going to hold it, right? I mean, you you, you got to clean the cage. you got to do this. you got to do that. Yeah, yeah. He, he goes, well, well, and I was like, oh, come on. You know, as a dude, if you don't want to hold it, if, you, if you're afraid of it this way, if you're afraid of seeing blood, if you're afraid of it biting you, then this is not the animal you want to buy. Right. Uh, the owner was absolutely living with me. At that no, I'm point. sure. I, I'm 
perfectly fine. You know what? I, I stand by my choice to do what I did. Right, um, right. You know, I, I am perfectly fine with that. You know, but you know what? When he's got a four hundred dollar price tag on the front of that in the front of that cage, and I'm not bullshitting you on the price. When he's got a four hundred dollar price tag on the front of that cage, you know, all he's seeing is green. Yeah. And I'm not talking about what was on the anaconda. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's. <laughs> Uh, oh. This is one of the biggest issues that we are seeing. We're not seeing any restraint. Yeah. There are people that are showing restraint? Absolutely. And sure. I don't, I'm not meaning to, to tell, say that everybody, I'm not trying to encompass everybody. Unfortunately, it is happening and it's happening at an alarming rate. You but know, I'm but that's the biggest on, thing. On is... websites that, there, that you can literally have a, a, add an alligator to your cart. Yeah. I'm sorry. When I'm seeing an Amazon style website for reptiles. I've got a bit of a concern. I've got a greater concern when I have an animal such as an alligator that requires such a large amount of space and is such a, a difficult animal to properly care for. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have some issues. And yeah. this is what we've come down to. What's next? Door-to-door -door sales? Are we going to start knocking on everybody's door? Would you like to buy an alligator today, ma'am? Yeah. Yes, look at it. They're, they're very, very cute animals. And what? no, they're not going to vacuum your floor and they're not going to clean your kitchen. But you know what? They, they're great and they're, they'll guard against, uh, against break-ins. Yeah. You, know, you know, this is, is that what we're going to be evolving to next? Is that our next step in this community? Yeah. Well, what are we going to do next that's really going to screw us over big time? And if we if we cannot show a little restraint in one aspect, where are we, at what point do we draw the line? At what point do we finally say, okay, you know, this is getting ridiculous. And it seems like nobody, you know, I'm seeing online auctions. Auctions. It's the highest bidder. It's not who is really buying. It's not whether this person is going to care for it. It's who happens to hurry up and snipe the bed at the very last minute. Right. It's, it's, it's eBay for reptiles. Yeah. Uh, this again. You know what the hell were these people thinking? Now, um, now here's my know. thing. Do you think that the irresponsible people really outnumber the responsible keepers today? You know. It, and I know. It's, it's, I know that's a really tough question to answer. I'm just asking. You know, just as a generalization. Well, Reason being is because you have to factor in so much. Right. Right. Uh, what, what, where do we define irresponsible keepers? Now, if you know, yeah, my true. irresponsible is I'm talking about people who are truly prepared for the animals they're keeping, are truly setting up and trying to do their best for the animal in their care, uh, are also behaving responsibly while out with the general public, and if they're ever in public with their animal, are handling their animal safely and accordingly, and are representing our community. In a positive aspect, mm -hmm. um, these are some of the, the, the things that have to be incorporated into responsibility when you're talking about you know a reptile keeper. And unfortunately, when you can factor everything involved, I'm going to have to say we're probably pretty outnumbered. Um, wow. And this is just being honest. Um, this is not meaning you know. Yes, we are you know we you know, responsible keepers in a way of releasing pet animals and. And doing stupid things, buying animals that you know, or buying uh, deadly animals without at least a reasonable plan. Okay, we might outnumber them, right. but when you factor in everybody that you know is keeping animals uh, across the board, whether it's a ball python or a gecko, and is truly taking care of it. Uh, when I'm looking on Craigslist and I can see alligators, ball python, and, I mean they're just listing them all over the place. I, I saw a, a Craigslist ad. Yeah, I, this wasn't one that I came across personally. It was somebody else that uh, saw it and brought it to my attention. Mm -hmm. They had a ball python in a cage, and they were calling it a Vermes, and that starts with a V, a Vermes python. Um, awesome. 
one, so they're they're misidentifying it as a as a Burmese, and and even then they're not accurate. They can't even spell that it. A, that's pretty. Um, that's a pretty significant screw up there. Right. So, you know, which demonstrates openly that this person did no homework whatsoever. Because if they did even so much as a single Google search, they would have found out that they completely screwed that up. Um, you know, when we're having things like this, this shows that our community is not trying to step up to the plate, is not trying to grab a hold of the rein and handle things accordingly. What we need to do at this point, we need to really get breeders and retailers on the board and say, okay, look, you know, if somebody's coming in and asking to buy an alligator, you should be asking them why. You, right. you, know, you should be asking, okay, well, what's your plans with the animal? Do you, do you know what this, uh, how big this animal's going to get? Uh, do you have something set up for it right now? What's your current enclosure? What is wrong with asking a couple questions? Yeah, it you know, it, you it's not like we're doing in the third degree, Chris. I mean, we're just having a decent conversation with these people. You know, hey, you know, okay, so what do you currently own? You know? Yeah. Right there, that'll open up the conversation. You don't have to, you know, you push your table and ask to buy that cobra. That doesn't mean you jump up in the face and go, uh huh, well, why why do you want this? But, you know, what what are you going to do with it? You you know, you're you're just carrying a friendly conversation. Right. You know, just considering it much more like you're just trying to make some friends. Oh, oh, great. So you're interested in these guys. Well, I got you interested in this particular uh, species. Exactly. family you know you can bring up that type of thing you know and then if the person responds to you like oh, i don't know i'd like Uber. um okay well then at that point then you take it a little bit further like oh okay well what, what specifically makes you want this particular species and, and right that the other oh by the way where's your uh, antivenom access you're getting it from such and such a place well i, mean, right. I would say and i would say you know well, what where you know uh, I'm, I'm looking to find a better and closer source of my antivenom for the, the species i'm sure of. you know what who do you use It's a matter of how you question it, and when they fail to answer all of those questions, I think it's pretty safe to assume that you can say, well, you know, have you ever cut the code? Then you can start, you know, kind of getting them with more serious and more direct questions. Yeah, and and if you don't feel comfortable selling them that animal, done. You know, you have the right to refuse service to anyone you want. This is what I call for retailers, and I'm going to say this very bluntly. Grow some balls. Exactly. This is what I'm going to say. Grow some balls. Because yep. you have, if, if without that, you are going to screw over yourself and you're going to screw over the rest of your community. Yes, it, it, it's easy to say, you know what, it's not my fault if he goes out and gets killed by this cobra. Is it indirect? In probably not. But when you could have probably, you know, avoided that in the whole way, you know, most of these people, they obtain these animals because they're easy to do so. When right. you make it easy, it's going to, it's going to happen. Yep. If you have to jump through some hoops, if you have to go find uh, a breeder of a specific animal, number one, at least makes you have to do some homework. If right. you have to do a Google search to find a breeder of a particular species, then okay, you're having to do at least a little bit of homework in the same time. And then you can get contacted, Ask then you can ask your questions, and then you can set up a sale. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you've just got them set up at a damn table like you're at a supermarket, and they come in and say, yep, uh, I'll take one of those, one of those, one of those ring it up in the damn register and then send them out the door, how is that really helping you or anybody else in this particular situation? And you would think that we would have learned that by now. Yeah, too true. Too true. Jeez. All right, well, Chris, I, you know, I... <sighs> I really wanted to end this on a on an up note. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's possible, man. <laughs> well, here I'll do my best to end. Okay. This. If we want, you know, we have a lot of passionate and dedicated people in this community, 
And I do yeah, not really just check out the forums. <laughs> yeah. you know, but the thing is, is that we have to work, learn to utilize them. We need to try to come together as a community. We need to be realistic. And at the same time, when we can utilize, you know, all the benefits that we have, we can truly work together and get something accomplished. I don't think things are lost. I don't think the no. truth done for, but only way that it's going to continue moving in that direction and we can continue taking thing, our, our community back and our hobbies back is by putting our foot down and doing something about it. If not, we're going to fail and we have nobody else to blame but ourselves at that point. We can't blame HSUS. We can't blame PETA. We can't blame the government. We blame our own failures and there's no, no other way around that. Very true. Very true. You know, and like you said, we not only do we have a bunch of passionate people out there, but we have people that, you know, literally started this community absolutely you know, I mean, and they're willing to you know, what you think about his past you know yeah. what? i did what he did he paid for what you know he paid the price uh and but he's still here he's still like grandfather of our community and he has a lot of knowledge to offer to the best of my knowledge he's been on the up and up ever since i yeah. don't have any personal issues at this point with, with tom i think he's a great guy i've carried some conversations with tom and you know what? I think that he is a guy that can still offer our community a lot. What it really boils down to is what people, what are people doing now? What are we doing to try to help ourselves? And yeah. if we have people that are still on the up and up and they're willing to fight, use them. Yeah. But if you got people that are creating the problem, then you don't, you know, heroize them. You don't stick them out on the forefront and make them the voice because then that will backfire. You take the people who are, have been, you know, on the up and up and are trying to work hard to steer our community in a different direction. Uh, Doug Hodel is, is one of those. Rob Carmichael is another. Terry Phillip is another. Uh, Tom Crutchfield is a good guy. Carl Persons is a good guy. Yeah. There's there a lot of great people out there. You have to try to appeal to them. You have to show them why that you want this, this to change. You want to show why that we deserve to continue having our community intact. And you try to get them involved because ultimately, these are the type of people that are going to change uh, the minds of, of political leaders, and uh, you know, I don't think there's anything that we're ever really going to do is going to change the minds of HSUS and PETA. Right, uh, right. They've got their mindset. I don't think there's much that's going to really change that. But uh, the legislation is what we ultimately have to try to steer around. And if there's anybody that's capable of doing that, it's that group of people. Right, right. And that's the thing with you know, I had Tom on the show before, you know, and he is just such a I mean, he's a walking, you know, her pentacultural library, you know, and it's like, and we've forgotten, and it seems like the people that are coming into the industry now, you know, have forgotten basically our roots, and, you know, I sat at a show. I don't think they've ever really cared that much, you know, a lot of the people that are coming into our industry now never really looked into the history of the industry, which is one of our biggest failures, and we're not trying to perpetuate that. Through each and every passing generation, right? And every generation, we step further and further away from the original roots of this community. We step further away from that. We forget the past, and we, we're working on what we see right now, which is money, 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 breed this, breed that, raking cash, do some more. That's really what everybody's seeing at this point. Instead of where did this originate from? You know, who were the, some of the founding fathers of this community and the people who really put a lot of this together that allowed what we have today to you know, to come to pass? You know who are these people, and yeah. you know, and what do they have to say about what's going on right now? You know, that was an amazing thing. Is I was at the you know uh, San Diego show, I believe it was, and I spent you know maybe twenty minutes with Ken Foose and uh, Tom Crutchfield, 
and you know they were talking about back in the day when they used, you know when they were you know first breeding different species and stuff and i was just floored at the amount of knowledge these guys were just spouting off like you know it was Absolutely. you know like everybody knew this and i was like are you ser- what how the hell did you guys figure that out you know oh we talked to so and so down the street you know and he went over to africa you know i'm like what <laughs> like dear lord man you know well, yeah, and I tom mean, still they- travels everywhere you know, exactly. and talks and to people that encounter these things in the wild, and you know, I mean, it's just, man, we just need to get back to our roots, go back to the originators of this industry, learn from them. You know, they're willing to educate us. You know, and take back our community. I mean, that's you know, that's bottom exactly line. That, that, that's exactly where we are right now, and the sooner we jump on that, the better. Uh, and you know, I, I agree with a lot of people that arguing and bickering and fighting amongst ourselves isn't helping us any. Right. And and one of some of the, this is another reason why you know yes do I get mad sometimes whenever I, I'm debating somebody especially when they do something extraordinarily stupid sure. Right. Uh, I, you know I do get angry sometimes I, I I step out of my I always try to take a, a professional um, method to how I handle sure. each and every interaction with people because you know. Not only do I want this person to respect me, but I want to show them that I want to respect them. Right. And by doing that, we can try to come to some type of agreement. It doesn't work with everybody. It's unfortunate. And sure. there's always going to be some arguing and bickering. But especially when there's two, you know, there's so many people with so many varying types of personalities, all of these people coming together trying to fix one, one similar problem. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody ultimately wants the same thing, and that's to continue doing what we love. Right. But nobody wants to try to come together and come to realities as to what we need to do to try to accomplish that. Um, you know, the times change. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm a big fan of evolution and all forms, biological and and everything else. Yeah. But here we are. We our community evolves, and as the time uh, you know that uh, we have invested in this community continues to change. And evolve. We have to. Ru- we have to roll with the punches. We have to evolve with it. If we fail to do that, then we fail. Uh, you know, so many people get stuck in their ways. So many people say, you know what, this is the way it should be. There should be no other answers or buck to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the way that society works anymore. We can't change society. We can't even change what uh, you know, happens within our own community. Yeah. We can't expect to go and change the masses at the same time. Exactly. If you can't change here. How are you expected to change anything out there? Right. So, you know, this is pretty much where we're stuck at, and unless people try to really get to get serious and really think about, you know, what's going on and what the realities of our situations are, you know, you're not going to be able to accomplish much. And I, I perceive one thing, you know, or one of a couple things happening. Um, if a group of people get together and formulate a fairly decent plan that does work mm-hmm. for, you know, our, our community and does help some people be able to keep their rights, but you're still going to have your other group of people that were against any type of regulation of any sort. Uh, in any fashion at all, yeah. <laughs> and and they're going to be continually continually blasting these other people. But you know what? I'm fine with that because it's the same way with the AZA. The AZA says, you know what? Say whatever you want. We protected our own, and that's exactly what we have to do. If everybody, if the people who do not want to try to to make something happen for themselves, sit back, pound their fists, and say, I'll screw it. I'll go underground. Fine, go underground. If you end up in trouble, you end up in trouble. There's nothing we can do about that. If you don't want to try to, you know, basically take things uh, in a professional and uh, responsible manner, there's nothing that we can do about that. Right. All we can do, you get you, you get the group of like-minded individuals that are willing to try something. If it's successful, great. If it's successful, we run with it. And anybody who doesn't want to be a part of that, they don't have to be, but then they make their own grave. If they end up landing in any form of trouble, that's on them. 
Um, it, right, at this point, it, it literally is a survival of the fittest, and uh, only the people that are willing to sit back and really contemplate the situation are really going to make it to the next generation of her figures. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I like what you said, too. You know, uh, essentially, no matter what your stance is, we're all fighting for the same thing, to keep this hobby going. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, it's not a right, it's a privilege. So, you know, let's cut out, you know, all the backbiting and, you know, backstabbing and calling each other, you know, whatever, whatever. And understand, for once and for all, this is our community. And if we don't make a difference now, either... You know, by writing Congress people or calling them on the phone, and again doing so in a respectful manner, or supporting U.S. ARC, which is the only organization that's lobbying for our privileges to keep these animals, then we're done. Absolutely, and that's exactly it. And you know what? And if people don't like U.S. ARC, fine. You know, if you think that you can do it better, then by all means, please do. I'm yeah, not you know, in any that's way something... advocating that U.S. ARC is our one and only voice and they are our only hope and we should back them in any way, shape, or form. If you think that you can pull one up better, then by all means, please do so. You know, um, and that's something that got brought up. I think it was on your wall, Chris, actually, that I was involved in. You know, as somebody brought that up, you know, that, oh, well, you know, and not to mention any names, but, you know, U.S. ARC, you know, isn't doing, you know, enough. And I brought. I said, "Okay, so what are we going to do?" Yep, absolutely. And again, you know, it was like dead air. But if you don't have, <laughs> exactly, it was like, like you said, it was like dead air. I was like, exactly. And I kept promoting. You know, I kept saying, "Okay, and what are we going to do?" Well, if I knew the answer, I would have done it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. you're just going to run your mouth and not do anything. And, you know, and this is the thing that has always got me is that. All the people with the most answers always seem to also be the one that's not doing anything. <laughs> exactly. This is, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I, you know, and I've faced this, you know, for so many times. And in fact, uh, my most recent one was our discussion at the very beginning of this, uh, right. here, uh, you know, about this alligator. I was being criticized by all of these bystanders saying, well, you should have spent more time out there. You should have done this. You should have done that. All of these people have never even handled an alligator, much less been out there on a freaking boat trying to find a three foot alligator on a, a large reservoir that has 30 miles of shoreline and 12 billion gallons of water. Uh, you know, this they have never had to do any of these things, but yet they can sit by and criticize you for what you're not doing when they don't understand the realities of what you did do. Right. And this is exactly the issue that we're having. You know, if you want to get out, you want to get a, a voice started, if you really want to, to get together and fight, then do so. If you have some spunk to you, if you really have an attitude, if you really think that you can make something happen, then by all means, please stand up and do it. Otherwise, don't sit there and ball your fist up and sit there and twiddle your thumbs and, and, and make snide comments about USR and then you not step up to do anything. If you're not writing letters, if you're not out there getting your voice heard, if you're not out there, then you really have no room for commentary. The right. only ones that have any room for commentary are the ones that are stepping up to face the flames. And, and U.S. ARC, like it or not, they're the ones doing it. If you yep. don't like U.S. ARC, start another organization. If they're more, if your organization is more successful, then fine, fantastic. I'm ha I'm happy for you, and I'll support you. Exactly. If, you know, if if not, if U.S. ARC still maintains that, you know, they, uh, you know, they are doing the better job, if they tend to be the loudest voice and still are, are the ones protecting our rights most, you know what? You both tried. I thank you both. Um, you know, you still might have your commentary towards U.S. art, but at least at that point you've earned it because you've done something. You've yeah, exactly. actually stepped up. You, you know, if you don't step up, then you don't have any room to talk, and that's all that boils down to. Right, right. 
Well, Chris, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're a busy man. You got <laughs> gators, and you're still going to school and everything else. So um, I do look forward to uh, getting you on the Reptile Roundtable. Um, like I said, we are going to have some named individuals on that show. Um, it's just a matter of scheduling, you know, time frames and things like that because we've got people spread across the United States that are going to be on there. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be an awesome show. I'd highly recommend that you know our listeners don't miss it. Um, yeah, I think that's. A, I think we've pretty much covered you know everything as far as you know. Well, not really everything, but you know as much as we can with right. reptiles mean, and responsibility you know, because. The whole point I think is to just put the the seed in people's minds of what we need to do. Right. And uh, I think that's really all we can do for right now. So I mean, uh, ultimately, I hope that you know all the, the listeners here have uh, will take what you know what was said, whether you agree, you know, whether you agree with it or not. At least listen to it. At least listen. Try you to know. contemplate it. Try to think about reality. Yeah. Um, you know, n- none of us, you know, and I, I have a saying, it, you know, I don't like having to, to accept uh, government regulation. I right. really don't like having to modify. I don't feel it should be necessary. I feel that our, our community should be able to regulate itself. That is my personal uh, issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, it, it's the fact that we're not that's creating the problem that we are. Right. I don't want to believe in, in government regulation. I don't want to believe that we have to step up to another le- level and bi- make accreditation programs or anything of that nature. And, you know, if I could believe anything that I wanted to believe, I wouldn't believe what I do. I'm I, I'm coming to you from where I have noticed or the things that I have seen in this community, the problems that I'm continuing to witness because I'm involved in so many different avenues of it, I've been able to see so many different angles, so many different sides, so many different issues. I encourage everybody to sit back down, be honest with yourselves, try to edu- educate yourself more about this community and the people within it and where you want to see this community go. If you want it to fail, if you can care less, if you're the type of person that's going to say, you know what, I'm just going to take my animals underground, you're going to do what you're going to do. There's nothing that anybody else can do about that. But don't try to take us and throw us under the bus at the same time, those who are willing to step up and try to do something better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, once again, sir, I do appreciate your time. And uh, with that, I'm going to end the recording.